Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about evangelism. Somewhere, in something, God has called you to be all that you are to be in whatever potential capacity. So you need to pray, then you need to go. Absolutely. Today we pray and we sit. And that's really disobedience. It's a lot easier to steer a moving object than one who sits. So you need to pray, then go. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When it comes to outreach and evangelism, Scripture exhorts us to get up and go. But all too often, we're just as content sitting and sending someone else. Well, today, Pastor Xavier takes us to the Gospel of Matthew as he brings us back to the true biblical mandate for reaching the lost. So let's join him for today's challenging study called God, the Harvest, and Man. We want to look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to chapter 10, verse 15. And there are three things that we're going to note regarding God's heart for man. The first is how God sees mankind. And we get that verses 35 to the end of chapter 9, verse 38. And then how God calls men, chapter 10, verse 1 through 4. And then we're going to finish up with how God sends men out in verses 5 through 15 of chapter 10. Notice in verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. God sees man with compassion because he says two things. Because they are weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. But notice also in verse 37 that he sees mankind as a great harvest. In verse 38, God sees prayer as needful to send men out to the harvest. Here's the conclusion. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We can go out, and we should go out. But Jesus says, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Do we pray for the lost sheep diligently? Or are we just satisfied that we have a full church, and we're saved, and we're okay, and, and God is doing some work? No, no, never. And if we look at the harvest as He sees the harvest, then it will drive us to our knees because we know we are unable to bring in the harvest. Having said this to his disciples, verses 1 through 4, we see how God calls man. Those previous verses, God sees man as a harvest. In these four verses, God picks men to bring in the harvest. And so after prayer, he chooses these men, but notice also that he empowers these men who he calls. He gives them the authority. He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. You see, when God calls men, he gives them the ability to live out what he's called them to do. Peter tells us that he has given to you and myself all things pertaining to life and godliness. 
That means that you and I have all the potentials, all the capacity, all the essentials to live out a full, victorious, triumphant life of Christ. If God has called you, then God is sufficient for what He's called you to do. He's the one that's going to equip you. He's the one that's going to take care of everything. And God takes common, ordinary people. Not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. And yet God chooses us for His glory, for His benefit. As you move on from verses 4, we see, third of all, how God sends men out. Notice very clearly that the sending out of these men is in direct relationship to what we saw in the first section, particularly verse 38 of chapter 9. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. In other words, these men had to have prayed. And then God says, now that you've prayed, go. <laughs> Sometimes we're asking God, oh Lord, raise up this ministry. Lord, raise up people for this. And you know what we should do after we've prayed? We need to go. Lord, bless people for the nursery. Great. Pray with all your heart. And when you get up off your knees, go to the nursery. Lord, raise up people for street witnessing. Pray. And then get up and go. Now, in your going, you may find out that's not what God has for you, but at least go. You can always come back. It's a lot easier to steer a moving object than one who sits. We remember before the days of power steering, parallel parking, and somebody corners you in and you're trying to get out. It's hard to move an object that's standing still. But if you just roll it, it's a lot easier to turn that wheel, isn't it? These men were the answer to their own prayer. Pray, then go. If all you do is pray, and you never go in some way, shape, or form, then your prayers are not sincere. Somewhere, in something, God has called you to be all that you are to be in whatever potential capacity. And you need to be there. So you need to pray, then you need to go. Absolutely. Today we pray and we sit. And that's really disobedience. Worse than disobedience. And we need to go. Notice he commands men as a general. He says, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them. This is the word that is used for a general for his soldiers. It is also used as an imperial command in scripture. It's also used for a teacher giving principles to his students. It's also used for a friend calling a friend to help. Every one of those pictures fit the relationship of the disciples to Christ. Notice that in the previous verse, in verse 1, that he calls them 12 disciples. And in the following verse, he calls them 
apostles. A disciple is a learner, a student. An apostle is one who is sent out. All of us are disciples. Not all of us are apostles in terms of being sent out as missionaries or something. But we all are in ministry in one way, shape, or form. Here he's sending them out in a limited way as missionaries to Israel. We are not all missionaries. But we are all sent out to do something. Absolutely. Notice also that if God calls you and He commands you, He tells you where to go. Verse 5, the latter portion says, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter the cities of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. God will bring certain people to our lives that are receptive. We need to concentrate on them. There will be an openness to others, but right now the priority is the ones that God is preparing their heart. Because that time is now. Their hearts are open. So God not only commands them, but He tells them where to go. Where has God told you to go? You've got your part to do. People often say, well, you know, I'm, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, have you sought Him? I, I think God's calling me out, but I don't really know where. Well, no, that's not God. When God calls you out, He tells you where. People say, well, God's calling me out. I say, well, have you found a church? Well, no. Well, then that's not God. That's you. Because the first thing God will do is show you where you're going to be fed because that's the priority. And that should be your first concern. Where are you going to be fed? God's not the author of confusion. He'll show you. But you belong to a family somewhere. So God doesn't just call you into the kingdom to just kind of play fancy foot and free and just go here and there. No, He calls you somewhere because He has something for you to do. Very specific. Notice also in verse 7 and 8 that He gives the message in the ministry. As you go, preach. Caruso, herald, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. The ministry or the message of the ministry is what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, the message is given to you and myself. I don't have to make it up. I don't have to concoct it. I don't have to resort to the sciences to, to try to save mankind. The message is given to me. It's not my message. It's given to me. I am very limited in what I can say from this pulpit. I'm limited to what is in the Word of God. Nothing else. The kingdom of heaven meant the rule of God over the earth. And as people responded to the kingdom of heaven, they would be in the kingdom of God, the personal rule of God over your own heart. Now, are you under the kingdom of heaven or are you under the kingdom of God? Are you aware that God is in control of everything but He's not in control of you? You need to be under the control of God. Emotionally, physically, spiritually. Absolutely. Or it will be to your own destruction. The same message was heralded by John in chapter 3, verse 2. It was the Lord's, as He taught His disciples to pray in chapter 6, verse 10. 
It's the priority to seek the kingdom first and then everything shall be added unto you. Chapter 6, verse 33. The kingdom. So he gives us the message. But he also gives us the ministry. Here, specifically, cleanse the leper, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. If God calls you and he gives you the message, he will also give you the ministry he's called you to. If he's going to give you the ministry of teaching, the gift is going to be obvious. People are going to learn, hear, stick around, grow, follow. I mean, if I thought I had the gift of teaching and, and, and you know, I see you guys dozing out there and people walking out and only three people coming and then ten and then three and that, then probably I don't have the gift of teaching. You know what I mean? It's very obvious. There's no sense confessing it. I mean, you know, it's best to go bury it. But the gifts will be evident and he will align you with those gifts according to the ministry he's going to give to you. Some people are just administrators. He just gives them and they can look at things and, and, and just, oh, they're just great around. But that's, that's what they can do. Don't get out of your gifts. The ministry is not like the corporate world where you get promoted. You move a person out of their gifts and you make them ineffective. And you ruin them. Your gifts and ministry may vary in terms of where and how long and what dynamics. But basically your gifts and ministry are, 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 are one. You'll be aligned there. And so he gives them not only the authority, but the gifts to do this. Notice he says, freely you have received, freely give. This is the very heart of the gospel. As you and I have come to Christ, everything he has given to us, we have not deserved. Everything that he has imparted to us, we, though we may be obedient and abiding in Christ, it is not absolutely because of us, it is because of his faithfulness. But these men were empowered with authority for the ministry that God had given to them. But notice also that he calls men to be dependent on him for their needs. Verses 9 through 10. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for the worker is worthy of his food. No money. Verse 9. The money belt is a girdle. It would hold your clothes together. It would be used also as you can put your money in there. A money belt. He says, don't take any of that. Secondly, he says, no extras in verse 10. No bag for your journey. Don't put extra shirt. Don't put extra shoes. Don't put an extra lunch. Just go. Why would he say this? Because the ministry was of greatest urgency and it would be a short ministry and they would not need it. So many times we want to carry so many things that only weigh us down. We just want to, just in case... God says, no. No money, no extras. And then he says, in verse 11 through 12, he says, no fickleness. Listen. Whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into the house, greet it. In other words, if you come into a house that is going to be giving you beans at night, don't say, oh, sorry, I, I, you know, I promised my friend down the street because he's having you know, steak or something. <laughs> a servant of the Lord is not to be fickle. He's to be content. He's to be grateful. Mark out the house that's worthy. In other words, it's open to the gospel. Then sit down and stay there. Now, today's a little different. We, in that day, there was a lot of hospitality and the inns were flea-infested and and uh, immoral. And so Israel would open their house to their own people so that they could have a proper place. 
And so the context changes a little bit. Not only not being fickle, but he says in verse 13, don't show partiality. No partiality. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. In other words, if the people are open to the gospel, then you give out freely. Don't judge them by what they're going to give you and don't judge them by who they are. As long as they're open, don't show partiality. Who do you share the gospel with all the time? Do you look at the world as a harvest or do you just look at your in-group of your social status, where you work, where you live? You see, these are some important principles for ministry. They're limited to, to Israel's outreach, but nevertheless, they are biblical principles that we have to mark for ministry. Now, this changes later on because in Luke 22, Jesus says, you know, take a bag, sell it, buy a two swords. Everything changes as he sends them out to the world, not just to Israel. So we are to make preparations. We are to make sure we are set in all ways. But the principles are the same. I have to trust God. Notice last in verse 14 and 15 that he releases men from any personal responsibility when men reject the gospel. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. First, men are to remove themselves from those who reject the gospel of Christ. Very important principle. If you will examine this entire section beginning where we did in verse 35, chapter 9, to the end of chapter 10, in the discourse of Jesus to the instructions of, his, of the 12 here, you will notice that every principle that he preached on the Sermon on the Mount is found in here. Every principle. Let me just point one right now while we have this point here. In chapter 7, he spoke about not judging in a critical way, censorious. And then the last verse he says, do not give the holy what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls to the swine, lest they trample under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. This is the principle. Preach the gospel. Those that are open, hey, give it to them freely. Those who reject and mock and turn away, shake the dust off your feet. That was a symbolism of contempt. The Jews would never go into Gentile territory. And if they did, before they got back into Jerusalem, they would shake their dust off their clothes, everything else, because they were afraid they were going to defile Jerusalem with Gentile soil. They would either go all the way across Jordan, go up and then cross over to Galilee, or they would go over by the sea, the highway by the sea, go up and then in. But none of them would go through Samaria. That's why the disciples looked at Jesus funny when Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. Samaria? It's contempt. Shake the dust off your feet. Don't cast your pearls to the swine. Those that reject it and mock it, there's a place where you're to know, give them up. That doesn't mean you don't pray for them, you pray for them. That doesn't mean that you may not come back and share again. Before that time, it's enough. They are just casting it away and they are making mockery of it. And you know when to turn away. And that's what he's saying. So I am released from the responsibility of the gospel when I see that happening. Now I have to make sure that I'm making the right assessment. I'm not being partial. I'm not being judgmental. That I'm not being self-righteous. Very important. But God releases me from that responsibility. Like the watchman. He tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, you herald, you're the watchman of the city. 
And if you proclaim and they die in their sins, you're free of their blood. But if you don't proclaim and they die in their sins, I'll hold you responsible for their blood. You say, thank God that was Old Testament. Really? You better read Acts chapter 20 when Paul says, I'm innocent of the blood of any man. <laughs> Old Testament and New Testament are one. No different. But notice also that men are to know the great judgment that awaits those who reject. The old King James says, Verily I say to you. I like that. He closes each section with this verily. Verily I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. In the other Gospels, he abrades Chorazin, Bethsaida. Woe to you! Why? Because they have sinned against greater light. And when you bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody or the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to you and you reject it, then you are sinning against the greater light that has ever come upon anybody. And your judgment will be that much greater. I think being parents, we know this quite clearly. When our children do something that we've never warned them about, we may discipline them, but it is far different when they do something that we have already warned them about because they have sinned against the greater light. And the consequences are much more severe. Awesome to fall into the hands of the living God. Those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, which should bring us right back to the harvest, that we have compassion. And so he sees men as the harvest. He picks men out to bring in the harvest. And in this last section, he sends men out to the harvest. How about you? We learn three things about observing God's heart for man. Don't miss them. One, God sees lost man as a great harvest. We should also. Two, God calls men to the harvest. All of us are included. Three, God sends men as a result of prayer. We should pray and then go. Very simple. Let's not make it difficult. Very simple. We need to be open. We need to pray that God's heart become our heart. There seems to be a way that is right to a man, but the way thereof is a way of destruction. God is the way. And once you have walked with God and you entrust yourself to the ways of God, you will not be offended by the will of God or the work of God. Because you know his ways. They are good. If you're always trying to understand his will, you may be offended. But you've got to come to believe and trust in his ways that they are for your good. Then when the will comes in and the work comes in that you can't understand, you won't get blown away. Later on in chapter 11, verse 3, I believe, he says, Blessed is the man that's not offended in me. Let me translate that for you. Happy is the man that does not stumble in my ways. God should have such a relationship with you and myself that 
His ways are absolutely pure. Therefore, I just open myself up to all that God has because I can trust Him because He's a good shepherd. Let's go get the harvest, man. Let's begin by praying and then let's go. Pastor Xavier Reese with a simple reminder about the importance of evangelism on today's Simple Truth. And you can request a copy of today's challenging study from the Gospel of Matthew called God, the Harvest, and Man. It's available on CD for just $4. And this message contains what Pastor Xavier shared last time as well. So, once again, the title to ask for is God, the Harvest, and Man. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. The gospel has been freely sown, but why haven't all responded? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com